0: between the lines with andrea gilligan this
1: is news talk
0: you're welcome
2: along to news talks between the lines program with myself andrea gilligan where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's program looking at the future of work from mobile working arrangements to all of the different perks that go with it. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or you can download the podcast on our podcast app at goloud.com. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we'll be discussing children and their physical education. It's after a new report earlier this week showed 25% of primary school children in this country cannot run properly. They also lack other basic skills. Joining us to discuss in studio our panel today, former international athlete David Gillick, Dr. Sarah Jane Belton, who's an associate professor and also the head of school of health and Human Human Performance at DCU and also Dr Johan Isertel who's the DCU School of Health and Human Performance as well. My thanks to you all for joining us in studio today. Perhaps maybe first of all, Sarah-Jane, I might just start with yourself. This report was published earlier this week and I mean some of the, the findings are in particular the headline figures and stats that came out of it. Like things like, you know, a quarter of primary school children in this country, they can't run properly. Uh, one and two of them can't kick a ball properly. DCU carried out this research. Just give us an indication first of all about why you carried it out and what exactly you found.
0: Yeah, so we've been looking for quite a while, myself and Johan, um, at the area of physical literacy in young people in Ireland and we carried out significant work over the last 10 years starting with adolescents actually, starting with 12 and 13 year olds and looking at their fundamental movement skills. Um, and the results were pretty stark and pretty startling. And I've been in before chatting mm, to you about yeah. that. This work, Moving Well, Being Well, um, was taking it back a few years and looking at the primary school kids and saying, right, well, from the age of five, what do we actually know about these kids in the area of physical literacy? Now, what the, the skill element is is one part of physical literacy, fundamental movement skills. It's just, one important cl- just part. Just
2: clarify, sorry, Sergeant,
0: for me. what is, when people, What is physical literacy? Physical literacy, it's... If you consider the capacities a child needs to be active the capacities any human being needs to be active. So what do you need? You need to want to be active. So you need to be motivated. You need to have a good attitude about physical activity, about moving. You need to have basic skills that enable you to move. And that's the fundamental movement skills part. And you also need to know why. You need to know and understand why physical activity is so important. Why is it I need to do this thing? And those capacity capacities, when you combine them, are physical literacy. So no, it's
2: the understanding... It's,
0: yeah, it's the understanding plus the abilities to actually be active and to know why you should be active and to get up off your bum and do Mm. it, you know, to actually go out there and do it. And we all need that. And we know, you know, we all see people who just love getting out. They love moving. They see the benefit of it. They understand the benefit of it and they they love doing it versus people that maybe don't understand why they should. Or in fact, sometimes in, in physical activity situations feel a little bit stepped back and they feel, well, it's not for me. You know, I was never good at sport. That isn't for me. And it's that broader understanding of why I need to move, my body needs to move, and actually appreciating that and, and acting on it. So that that's physical literacy. And ultimately, the outcome of that is being active. So that, that's the underpinning, okay. or almost the the building blocks that we need to enable people to be active and to enable kids to be active. So what myself and Johan were looking at is these capacities. How are we doing? Because we know we're not active enough. We, we've seen so many reports at this stage where it's it's about one in ten kids are actually active enough for their health. And that's not a massive bar to hit. It's 60 minutes a day of moderate, vigorous physical activity.
2: I remember the last time we spoke, actually, you you used that figure, and I I often quote you on it. I mean, the idea that a a child in Ireland, any kid, should be um, physically active for 60 minutes in a day, because I'm sure that's a figure that you know most people most people don't reach it let alone young kids like. yeah
0: I know and for for adults to be fair it's 30 minutes a day it's it's double that for kids and the reason being that they're still developing and it, it's so essential for health and these these um this physical activity that you accumulate and that you develop and more importantly the habit for physical activity that you develop as a young person is what sees you through into adulthood the people that are active as adults, we're more likely the active kids, so it's it's hugely important for a development of core health and core capacities. Um, does it seem like a lot? It, it, it's hard to hit. I'll give you that, but really it shouldn't be a lot. It's sixty minutes out of the day where they're actually running around a bit or moving yeah. enough to get their heart and lungs pumping. So it's it's it is it, it's being shown hard to do. We're not doing it in society now currently, but yeah. years ago it wasn't this okay. problem that we're having. Now. Well,
2: we'll come to some of those maybe some of those reasons in a few moments. Um, Doctor Johan Isotel as well as Sarah Jane mentioned, you you're part of this. Um, the you're part of the, this particular research from DCU. Also, um, some of the findings are. I think we've been discussing them all week here on the station, and I know a lot of you know um, parents and people have been texting into the programs about the findings. Just in terms of the actual demographic or who was surveyed, can you just give us a little bit of the breakdown so, around the country? <clears throat> the
3: idea we didn't know anything about like the current level in terms of. Uh, fundamental skills levels, uh, the way the kids perceive themselves in their ability to do things. We didn't know anything about that in the country at all. So the idea we're trying to do is like try to reach every county in Ireland just to get a representative sample of kids. So we've contacted loads and loads of schools uh, to do that. So we traveled around the country to really measure all those capacities. Mm. I didn't mention those words those fundamental skills, their physical activity levels. Um, so it is representative of our rich right. population. It's why it reached 2,000 kids. It's one of the biggest studies of its kind in the world because it's pretty hard to do this. So we had a really beautiful team in this year able to do that survey. So that's when we said 2,000 kids, from a research perspective, you can say it's representative of the nation. Yeah. If you have someone doing surveys, you will, re- will see those values. For physical measurements like this, it's really nice having that number of kids because we know what we're saying. It's kind of true and represent the kids.
2: I talked about the ability to, to run mm-hmm. um, as one of the, the findings of this survey, but there were other kind of fundamental skills as well like the, that you looked at.
3: So the fundamental skills that you're looking at here are the basic skills you need in daily life. So all of us this morning before coming, you basically use those skills. So you have to walk, sometimes you have to run, you have to leap over a puddle. Um, that's basic locomotor skills you use on a daily basis to actually function. Those basic skills, running is one of them, jumping is one of them, we just measure them in a really simple way. We are not talking about elite performance at all is really basic yeah. skills. And
2: that's that's what I was wondering about in terms of h- how you measured the kids um, that were part of this survey. Like, what sort of distance or time are we talking about so in terms of running? The, the
3: way it works for us, we we don't want to measure them as like how fast they run and how high they jump. We just want to see the quality of their motion. So it's not the quantity, is how well you move. The most important thing is not like saying, okay, David is an amazing athlete, he can run really fast, represent the country, great, he's a fast runner, does he run well? It's what's most important. If you do things well, the mm-hmm. likelihood for you to carry on and do them on a leisure time for recreational purposes is higher. So the purpose of what we are doing is we're using validated tests that has been used all around the world for 30, 40 years. But we know the principle that people need to have and display those principles when we're looking at them jumping. So you're talking about basic actions, such like crouching, jumping, lifting your arms up, landing on the ball of your feet. That's kind of motion yeah. quality you're looking for.
2: Because I think a lot of people thought this was, you know, referencing maybe the kids that were really good at sport in school, or perhaps elite athletes. And and obviously from what you're saying, like that's, that's no, that's not, not the, the case. case. No, this no, is just at
3: all. exactly. So the the idea is really not to define. Someone that's going to be the best athlete down the line. It's someone that can move well. That's why the product is called Moving Well, Being Well. Mm. It's all about your motion quality and how well you can execute the basic skills. If you do those basic skills well, then maybe you can engage in tennis, in basketball, in running for a club. Yeah. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of those sets are designed to show the kids that they can engage in physical activity with their friends after school, the weekend with our parents, taking a ball and kicking a ball, just for fun.
2: Okay, and can, just, I'm going to come to you, David, in yeah. just a moment, but I, ju- I just want to ask um, Sarah-Jane as well, just on that particular uh, testing that Johan's talking about, if there's parents listening to us even today that um, maybe they know their kids weren't part of this survey or they weren't surveyed and they're kind of thinking, well, you know, I think my child can run properly, you know, but I don't actually know myself. Like, where can they find out about what's what justifies proper running?
0: Like yeah, that. no, that, that that's a fair question. The first thing I'd say to those parents is if you're out playing with your kids and you're out running with your kids and you're kicking a ball with your kids and you're, you're leaping around with your kids, your kids will be okay they will develop these capacities. They will naturally okay. develop these once they're practising them. So nothing to worry about if you're one of those parents. The, the last thing I think we want is people running out diagnosing, you know, yeah, we have yeah, a problem yeah. here. But uh, interestingly, the, the Professional Development Service for Teachers, uh, which is an arm of the DES uh, responsible for CPD, for Continuing Professional Development for Teachers, they have developed some really nice resources, all freely available on their websites. And they actually have videos there of good movement, bad movement, you know, so to okay. take the run, you know, someone that's maybe struggling, a wider struggle, and someone that's doing very well and why they're doing well so those resources are there but I I don't think we want panic here we want people going out diagnosing it's more to to make people aware that we need it can't all happen at schools we have to get out with our kids Mm. we have to play with our kids they will emulate what we do and I think that's at the heart of of what we're talking about
2: Uh, David Gillick I spotted a tweet um, from yourself earlier this week just following the publication of this survey and I I know you you said in it that you were shocked at the findings Mm. but like this must come as I, I think it does come as kind of shocking news to a lot of people that some of the st- uh, the stats that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that's like I suppose when I looked at it, it was the headlines. It was it was the the number of kids that potentially don't have um, the ability to do these coordinational skills and just get involved in sport. And I think you know, I suppose where I am in my own personal life is I'm now a dad. I have two kids, um, and Oscar, my youngest, he's four, and he's. Beginning now to start on this journey of getting involved in sport. And I think, you know, when we look at it um, as a parent, um, we also look at the schools. And I think it's too easy to go, it needs to be done in the schools. And I think that's, you know, over the last kind of couple of years, when all these kind of studies have come out about obesity, um, you know, time with our kids, a lot of people do look to the schools and go, okay, can we do it more in schools? The curriculum in the school is com- it's packed. Um, I, over the last couple of years, have been involved in a programme called Marathon Kids where mm. we focused on primary schools. And it was generally, at the moment, it's Dublin based. And last year we hit about seven and a half thousand kids. But the feedback we get from from the schools is that, you know what? It's time. It's trying to create that hour and that 60 minutes. And I think we can't just go, that 60 minutes has to take place in the classroom or in the playground we as parents have to do that outside of that. And I think when you look at kind of the way sport has gone now, um, we look at it from an organisational or organised play kind of setup, whereas we need to kind of do more with our own kids. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm an expert, but, you know, it's what Sarah Jane just said there in terms of like going out and kicking a ball or throwing a ball. It's those kind of basics. And and even this week, I started on um, an FAI, um, like level one course. And it was interesting the way they're now kind of you know, training the coaches, it's all about fun, it's not about scoring goals, it's not about positions even, it's just basically getting the kids involved where they actually enjoy it, whether it's picking up the ball, throwing the ball, kicking the ball, it's getting them to enjoy it, being around in that environment with friends um, and kind of getting them to be more involved and if they enjoy it, chances are they'll stick at it a little bit longer.
2: Give us, Sarah-Jane, the, the basic requirement of what every child in this country, again, should be doing um, every single day of the week. So if you're listening today and tomorrow, what should your four and five-year-old, even at that young age, what should they yeah, be doing? Yeah,
0: no, the guideline do, does work down as, as as low as five-year-old. Um, So it's 60 minutes a day of what is termed moderate to vigorous physical activity. Now, to take the terminology out of it. It's basically 60 minutes a day that gets their heart rate increased, gets them sweating a little bit, a little bit out of breath. Like your barometer for that le- threshold of activity is if you're carrying on a conversation that you start catching your breath in the middle of it that's that's the threshold we need so it's not it's not sprinting flat out it's mm. not. It's just that level that gets your heart and lungs pumping. But I, it's
2: also probably not down in the playground on a Saturday afternoon, the kid in the swing.
0: Uh, not on the swing, but if they're running, climbing, like I, I, I see my eight-year-old in the playground, she, she's sweating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. running around the playground. <laughs> yeah. So it depends what they're doing. If they're sitting on the swing being pushed, no, that's not it. But, you know, all of that kind of strength training, that, that kind of weight-bearing activity is really important as well. And there are more guidelines around that, that, you know, you need two to three 2 to 3 days a week uh, to embed those type of uh, that type of work as well so a playgrounds a really good an- an analogy um, it's basically running around, kicking a ball, playing. That for, for a young child, that's what you're talking about. And it can be accumulative. It can be five minutes here. It can be 10 minutes there. Okay. Yeah. And I think David's point is really important. Schools have a role to play. Okay. We know that physical education is is the one captive place mm-hmm. where most kids can be caught. So there's a duty of care there. And there's a lot of people trying very hard to make the most of that. But you're not going to get 60 minutes a day Done in school. They've other things to do. They've they've a full packed curriculum. So it has to happen outside of school as is, well.
2: Is general is the the standard practice at the moment in primary schools? Is PE a day a week now, or is is it an, is it every day? Sixty yeah. minutes
0: a week of PE. That's that's the recommended amount, which is which is very little to start with, right? Mm. Most schools, some schools will do it one day a week of sixty minutes. Most schools, I think, do two days of thirty minutes. That that's the norm we have found. on moving well. But so you'll around. also
1: find as well that depending on the teacher, depending on the school, there'll be extra curriculum. So, mm-hmm. you know, post-school um, hours, there might be GAA, there might be another. Mm-hmm. But what I have found is that kind of generally falls down to the interest of the teacher. It's not yeah. across the board. And, you know, that can be a challenge because not everyone's into sport. Absolutely. So we can't rely on you know, a teacher to do extra stuff. Yeah. It's probably where maybe as a parent we come in or maybe there, there's clubs um locally that you can get involved. But definitely, you know, the PE is, at that level, is important, but it's trying to kind of maybe broaden that a little bit more into society and community as well.
2: And that that's interesting, that idea of, you know, it can often depend on who your teacher is for what sport you might be encouraged yeah. to do or what sport you might participate in in, um, in school as well. I know, Johan, that was one of the elements you probably touched on or found in your research in that your findings actually even have a gender demographic in terms of girls are better or performed better in this category and and boys in a different.
3: And it's true here. It's true in Australia. It's true in the US. It's really the type of the nature of what you do make you good at something. So girls will naturally not engage as much as the boys in balls game. And that's naturally why the boys become better than the girls. And that goes back to the point like as soon as you bring the kids to play, they'll develop those skills and they'll master those skills really quickly from just playing. So the teacher's role is key and it's called physical education. So it's where the teacher has a really key role to educate the kids. When you talk 60 minutes, it's physical activity. So you are not educating those kids. So when you bring them to a playground, you're not teaching the kids. Let them just play, find the right activity for them to enjoy it mm. and then they develop those skills. If you bring girls and boys doing the same activities, they will be completely even out. So when you see gender differences, it's the type and the nature of the activity you propose to the kids that make those differences happening. Um, They won't be different if we were all do the same thing. So it's the culture things that just make them different and the nature of what you give them on a daily basis.
2: You mentioned that idea of the the boys showed greater proficiency in ball ball skills. skills. And, and and the
3: girls, it was called the locomotor skills. So anything to do with your body action when you're jumping, leaping, hopping.
2: So gymnastics and... Type things. So it of... could be
3: from hopscotch. could be for the type of things they just do uh, at break time. Uh, the natural things happen like this. Okay. And, or it could be when you just bring them for like more like dance, gymnastic activities for the after school. Mm. David mentioned those things. like The nature of the activities the parents propose,
1: the girls, would be different to the one... You proposed the It's actually an interesting point. Yeah, a couple it. of years ago, um I was involved with it with a sports brand and we went around uh, schools all around Ireland. But one of which, the island of Ireland, so one of which was a girls school up in Derry and we did three basic tests. It was a 20 minute sprint, through time and gates, a standing long jump, um and a vertical jump. So on the force plate and mm-hmm. it was interesting to get the the numbers from the girls school because they were equal if not better than a lot of the boys down and the Republic. Right. Um, and it was kind of interesting we were kind of in conversation and we were wondering why was this? And the only thing and maybe you guys could be able to share a little bit more light but the curriculum of PE up in the UK has been in place a lot longer than say it uh, has in Ireland in terms of what they actually do they, they do a broad range and they're actually educated whereas sometimes in Ireland it's kind of like go play a specific sport yeah, um, yeah. and we're not doing the other kind of the running, jumping, those sort of things. And it was just interesting when you, you saw it um, as a kind of the numbers and the results, you know, it was, it was very kind of interesting, maybe it's something um, to be aware of. And I think it's something really hard for the teachers to do because if
3: automatically you think P OK, which sports do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we're saying is like, it doesn't matter you don't really need to do a specific sport because ones are not equipped to do a specific sport. They can't play basketball just yet because they can't really run, jump, catch and throw. So all of a sudden, if you have to combine a running with a catching, it becomes really hard. And the teacher themselves don't really know what to do because it's hard to train someone at a, at a given sport. So the physical activity elements in the physical education curriculum, mm. the way we, it's designed now and the resources I mentioned online, it's all game-based and it's not definitely targeting a sport. It's just developing their skills mm. on any given games you can find. So any fun games you can do will make sense.
0: Yeah, Sarah-Jen? Yeah, I, I think that that's the really important point. The curriculum in Ireland has been in place as long as, long as Northern Ireland. That's, that's fine and the curriculum itself is only a document that sits on a shelf. It's the inaction of the curriculum that actually matters. It's how it's put in place and the big difference I see between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is the recommended minutes of physical education a week. 60 down here, 120 up there. So, so they're if, getting double. If yeah. they're getting, you now if it's done, not every school meets the recommendations. Let's let, let's be, yeah. be honest about that. Even in Ireland, not every kid is getting 60 minutes of PE a week. It's, it's the first subject cancelled. You still have, I, I mean, I, I've heard many parents texting in as well to various shows that you know, P was cancelled in my kids' school this week as a punishment. That happens. It's shocking, it's disgraceful, but it does happen. But if it's been enacted and if they are getting 120 minutes a week of physical education, the point Johan made, it's about education for the physical, well, you are going to see different results. You know, it's a completely different landscape.
2: I, um, I want to come to just some of the points, actually, that you both mentioned there a few moments ago about the idea of the, the team versus... Um solo sports and the impact maybe that that can have what's sort of your advice to parents i'm thinking maybe of parents that have kind of a three and a four and a five-year-old now um and you know what's the best thing to do for them to kind of start developing their physical skills do you start off in sort of solo based um sports or should they instantly join you know the young kind of toddler groups and well, in, in just sports. even on
1: that point that's I started that in the last last week um, I'm living over in Ballantyre So I brought Oscar down to Ballantyre St John's And it was my first experience um, Going into a nursery And seeing what they do um, And even going back to the previous point It was actually interesting Because they broke it in It was one hour So it was 60 minutes And they broke it into uh, four groups um, 15 minutes in each kind of segment And they hurled for a little bit They played football for a little bit and then they ran over little hurdles and they played with um with one of those little kind of sandbags yeah. and thrown it up and down and just basically playing and even when they were kicking the football all they were doing was trying to kick the ball at cones and it was really basic things so i suppose it is kind of individual but the fact that they were around people of their same age uh running around out in the open um i think that was more beneficial and likewise with with the soccer side of it because I brought him to soccer then on the Sunday. um, (laughs) Busy weekend. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Equal uh, opportunities. (laughs) Like my view is that like, and I suppose I look back to the way kind of I grew up and what my parents did was they just gave me every opportunity in every sport. Um, And whatever I kind of enjoyed, I I tended Mm. to to stick at it. Anyone I was kind of maybe a little bit better, I kind of stuck at. But one thing that always stood stood to me when I was competing at a high level um, in athletics I remember I came across a physio over in the UK. She was uh, involved with the English Institute of Sport. And straight away, she was able to tell me that I had played numerous sports over the course of my lifetime. And she said, like, that's one of the best benefits you can do in your long-term development because you have agility, left, right, movement, jumping up and down, and things like that, where if you specialise, say, a little mm. bit early, um, you may not have those attributes later on in your career. So I think the way I look at it, and I'm no yeah, expert, yeah. and I'm not trying to preach or anything to that, I'll try and just open the door to whatever sport is available. and get them involved in it and if they don't like it and maybe not even sport maybe it's more art based or kind of um, you know uh, cultural things Mm, things, whatever it is but I think at that age like he's four now next month it's just trying to kind of get him into as much stuff as possible Mm. and probably around his friends I think he enjoys that a little bit better as well
2: Um, Just what's your view on that Johan I suppose just for people you know listening today that are kind of at that stage similar to David where you're you know thinking about what are the best kind of, you know, maybe activities to bring kids along to? And look, I know people listening will cite things like particularly if they have a long commute on a daily mm-hmm. basis. There is mm-hmm. obviously the financial side of a lot of this, too. But, you know, as you mentioned, too, Sarah Jane, at the start, there's a lot of things you can just do at home for free. I think
3: like. completely. And I think with that's the message overall. You don't need anything like a bean bag is fine, a flat bowl. It's fun for kids. They'll find fun every time, everywhere with anything. So I think it's no good excuse for not doing anything. You don't have that. You don't need much space to have mad burst of physical activity. You don't need to have a massive park beside you. You can find things, and the kids will find a way to do that. Just give them the opportunity to have fun with their friends, and then they'll find mm-hmm. something really fun to do. To go back to David's point, I think rounded individuals is what you want. So you don't really want to specialize the kid on anything at any stage until you're maybe 14, 15. There's no need. They just need to develop their skills with doing anything really and they'll find something they love and then they'll stick to it. Um, That's the idea of bringing it to soccer and then next time bringing it to gymnastics they might love it. Bringing it to any racket sport because it's slightly different is another type of activity they might love and they might be really good at it. Um, Anything will be basically on paper good for everybody but then it's your own person will choose something that just appeals to you. Because you're better at it, because your friends are doing that activity. And that's basically the reason why people stick to it as well. If you're doing it with your friends, the likelihood for you to say, I want to go back on Saturday yeah. morning, my friend's there. And that's the motivation, not the sport itself.
2: Okay. We're going to continue our discussion in just a few moments. We do just have to take a very short break. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Between the Lines on Newstalk. You're welcome back to the second part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself Andrea Gilligan we're continuing our discussion on children and sport and it's after a new report earlier this week showed 25% of primary school children in this country cannot run properly Uh, still with us today our panel in studio former international athlete David Gillick also associate professor and head of the School of Health and Human Performance at DCU Dr Sarah-Jane Belton and also Dr Johan Eistertel from DCU School of Health and Human Performance also Um, we were talking kind of about individual and team sports, Sarah Jane, just um, in in the first part of the program as well today. And can I just ask you for for your view on that in terms of I know obviously. Your own background, you know, as a former international rugby player as well, but just give us your view on on kind of advice for parents. Yeah,
0: it's an interesting one. Like my pathway, very similar to David's, was exposure to everything. I lived in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there was very little around. There were no girls' teams around, so I played in the background, backyard, and kicked out to the field most days. You know, come back, you know, at dinner time, uh, kicking a ball, running around. You know, that, that was basically my my introduction to sport and movement. Um, I took up rugby at the age of eighteen and made the international team. You know, within six months,
2: because okay. that'll be regarded as I don't want to say it, <laughs> late in life, but yeah, it's not Most was. people would it take was. up kind and, of teams, and I'm not. So. I'm
0: not the only one, and it's not just a female thing either. I, I think um, there are there are a few other examples of that. John Hayes being a famous example. You know, who took up rugby at the age of eighteen. You know, so and why did that happen? It's because I had that rounded experience that, that Johan and David have spoke about. I had that breadth of skills. I could run, I could jump, I could kick, I could catch. Mm. I had coordination. I had speed. I had what I needed, and I could apply that to any sport. At the same time, I was I was on the Irish uh, university soccer team. You know, and I had to choose where am I going to go. How did I end up there? I'm, I'm not an amazing athlete, but I had that breadth, that round breadth of skills that allowed me to apply my trade wherever I wanted to apply it. For parents, and, and I'm going to give Saint Peter's Dunboyne a plug here now, seeing as soon as Dave <laughs> got his club a plug. Um, for parents, and I'm also going to go, go on to, to mention the GAA. And, yeah. and in this sense, the GAA, I think it's important to note, funded, you know, it part funded this study, and we're a big driving force behind what we did. And the reason I think that's important to say is, Gaelic football is where I have my daughter. That's that's one of the main sports I'm putting her in, not rugby. Why? Well, you get your running, you get your jumping, you get your kicking, you get your catching. Whenever she decides what she wants to play, she has the skills to do it. And when you go out to to any Gaelic nursery, and I can speak about our own in in St. Peter's, you have, you know, 100, 200 kids at the age of four, five, six doing every single fundamental movement that they need. Okay, And most sporting organisations are working towards that now. They're embedding fundamental movements, um, be it the the GAA, the FAI, uh, gymnastics. They're working on fundamental movements to enable the kids to take the next step. It benefits their sport, benefits the kids in the long term. Um, And it just enables that child to transfer across sports and also to progress and be the best they can be in their sport when they go on to specialise. So I I would say to, to most parents, most people will have access to a GAA club. You know, that's it's, yeah. it is prolific. Um, even in my own locality, now it exists. It, it, there was a club there when I was younger, but there was no girls' side. But there is now, you know, down in Wicklow, where I'm from. So if you have access, if you're lucky enough to have access, if it's a soccer nursery, if it's a GAA nursery, if, if you're lucky enough to have a basketball club nearby or if it's a gymnastics club, um, try and get them involved. A lot of these clubs, they are cost-efficient. It might be €100 Euro for the year, you know, and, and your child has access to, to good, trained coaches that are working with a developmental philosophy mm. really trying to enable these kids to develop core capacities
2: Can, I don't want to scare people but I am conscious people listening today and some of this might come as new news to them but um, Johan just give us a sort of an indicator as to like what's the impact for children when they grow up if we don't kind of address these things now at a young age
3: and I think that's probably the most important question here because what we're talking is like it's a developmental pathway so it's building blocks. So if you just develop those core skills, and we mentioned the idea like, okay, Sargent and David managed to get international level in sports because they had they developed like rounded skills around any sports, and then they can apply to specialized mm. sports. Those kids, if they don't develop those things, that have a knock-on effect on everything. And I think we can go back to more um, academic achievement type things. When you're learning how to write, if you can't write properly then it will have a knock-on effect on everything down the line up to your living search results. So it's really important to get develop those core skills really young. If you don't have them, it's a knock-on effect. Everything we're talking about here is like movement-based uh, activities. You need them on a daily basis. You need in the, m- in the morning to zip your jumper, your shirts. You need mm. to tie your shoelaces. That's, those fine motor skills are core in life. You have the same thing for what we were talking about. Running, jumping, kicking... Those play elements is what makes you alive because you need to move on a daily basis. It's not fitness necessarily, it's skill acquisition. You need to develop them slowly but surely. When you do this, then just makes you feel good because you just can engage with people. Socially, it just includes mm. you as well. And also that makes you uh, someone able to adjust to any situation in life.
2: I heard a good analogy during the week actually. Um I think it might have been one of your colleagues was talking about the fact that, you know, the impact that this can have on young children, if you take the the school playground for instance, and if we're playing mm-hmm. a game of football and, you know, David kicks the ball to me and, and I don't you know, I don't catch the ball or stop the ball, you know, all of a sudden I start to think I'm not as good as you, you think I'm not that good, and the next time you don't pass the ball to me and the actual, in terms of confidence, perhaps psychological effect, you know, that that can have, David, on young children could be hugely detrimental for them as well. Yeah,
1: I think the social pressure um, has an effect on the mental capacity of kids as well. I think, you know, culturally we're in a different world now in terms of even social media Mm. and all that sort of stuff. Um, So you're very much kind of looking at your peers the whole time and how kind of you're deemed or how they view you. And I think sport... You know, unfortunately, can play a negative role in that because if you're not at the same ability as somebody else, and like you said, they kick the ball to you and you you don't kick it back mm. to them, well then, like kids are great to point out the negative, um, and that can isolate kids. And we've all been in the scenario where you know it's picking teams, yeah, and the last person, um, like. That can be detrimental to to a young person's confidence levels, all the even in teenage years as well. So, you know, it's it's those kind of elements that I think could have the knock on effect um, you know, mentally um yeah. and impact the mental well being of our kids as well. But I think, you know, like what Johan is talking about there is like it's it's trying to kind of I think even using that word sport sometimes can mean, you know, competitiveness. It can mean eliteness and um and that level. Whereas if we remove that word sport and just put in activity, well then you have a different view on it it's like you know straight away you think about the park you think about the garden and I think sometimes with sport we think of organised play Um, and if we're bringing our kids down to organised play once or twice a week well then we're doing enough but in actual fact maybe we're not maybe we as individuals parents need to do a little bit more um, in that world of activity
2: That's really interesting Um, Sarah-Jane I thought during the week the way there was sort of so much talk about physical literacy and to be quite honest with you I didn't really know an awful lot about it but just when you're explaining it today it's much more kind of health and healthy living and an element of wellness that seems to have you know fallen in under the bracket now as opposed to as you know David mentioned kind of sport in school or when I often think back to sport I think football you know you're playing with your neighbours when you're younger and that sort of stuff so it's kind of moved on even in terms yeah, of the branding of it.
0: Absolutely. And it has to. And I, and I guess like physical literacy is a term that's been used now. Um, we've had the term health enhancing physical activity before. We've had loads of different terms and it still all means the same thing. We're still working on the same problem, that the problem of physical inactivity. You know, people not moving enough. The reason we like and we use the term physical literacy and it's growing traction in the country and across the world is that people understand literacy. There's no parent that, w- that will say to you, well, literacy is not important for my kid. Well, you know it is. Mm. We know how important it is for a child to have those literacy capacities to be able to function in the world. Physical literacy is no different. They are the physical and psychological capacities needed to be active, and you need to be active to live well. It is that fundamental. So it is about well-being. You know, moving well-being. Well, being well the, the title that Johan cleverly came up with for this. It is about well-being because if you aren't physically literate, you're not going to be able to be your best self. You're not going to be able to be active. And it, Sport Ireland, for example, which is, it's interesting that ter- the term sport. Sport Ireland are actually the group at the moment in the country leading on physical literacy in that they, they have set up a physical literacy task force and they're they're trying to develop a consensus statement for physical literacy, not for them to pick up and implement but they see that they have a huge role to play in there as well as every other agency in the country. You know, the Irish Heart Foundation, they have uh, Action for Life, they have YPATH, they have two physical literacy programmes, the Department of Education and Skills, they had physical literacy coordinators. Mm. So a lot of people are recognising this, but it's such a huge problem. It doesn't sit at school, it doesn't sit just with parents, it sits broadly, you know, it's multifaceted. Yeah,
2: and is it difficult to kind of get that... um to maybe to inform or to teach parents about the fact that, you know, it's, it's really their role. I mean, obviously, schools have a role to play in all of this. But, I mean, they're the parent at the end of the day.
3: But I think it's what parents need to realise as well. Like, just give choice to your children. So basically, when it's an organised sport, someone is controlling in some ways what's happening in that session. When it's not organised sports, when you have twenty minutes of the kids, give them the choice to do whatever they want and they'll find a nice way to have fun, to engage the way they want. When you give them choice, they have success. That's the, the core part here. So you don't have somebody to say, okay, I'm not been picked in that team, or they put that that activity or that drill, I'm not good at this. When you pick mm-hmm. what you like, it will be fun because that's your own choice. And I think that's what the parents need to realize that. You don't have to set things up. You don't need to download all the beautiful app that are going to make my kids really fit. Anything from the kid's perspective, let them choose what they want to do and that would be a fantastic
2: okay. thing for them. One of the um, programmes we focused on here uh, quite an, a number of weeks back was in relation to what we sort of dubbed the, the pushy parents and the impact that that can have on, you know, a kids' engagement Completely. yeah, and yeah. their involvement in sport. Just, I suppose... David, you're, as you said, relatively new to the, yeah. the sideline. You haven't maybe had a chance to be the pushy <laughs> parent yet. But I mean, like, that's something you see that, ne- you know, like, it can really have a negative impact on a kid. It,
1: it, it is. And it's something that I suppose, kind of starting that journey with with, with, with my uh, young player, I was a little bit like, am I going to be deemed like that? You know, Saturday it was Ballantyre St. John's, Sunday it was Broadford Rovers, <laughs> next it's Dundrum Athletic Club. You know, you, you're kind of a little bit like, am I going to be that person? But I think the way I viewed it was like, I'm going to be bringing him there anyway, so I might as well just get involved. And, you know, for example, there must have been about 100 kids at the nursery on Saturday, 60 Mm -hmm. kids at the the soccer. And you're a little bit, okay, you know, to keep them all Mm -hmm. engaged and entertained, they need more kind of adults involved. Um, But I think the key part of it is that, you know, for me, I... I, I'm a little bit like, right, you know, if I put him straight into athletics, it's going to be like, you know what I mean? He's going to be trying yeah, to emulate. It's an
2: early, a little bit of an expectation, yeah, you know, unfairly. You know, no, and, yeah. and,
1: and that's it. And I, I kind of think I'm aware that, like, you know, I'm not going to live my, like, athletic hopes and dreams through him. Um, and I don't want to put that pressure on him. And I think it's just kind of creating that awareness. But you do see it, and it is a common kind of issue um, as kids get, get older and into teenage years that, you know, you have the parent on the sideline losing the head. Um, and there was a great study done um, what makes um, almost champions, champions, and super champions. And I read that and it was phenomenal because it gave a great insight into the role of coaches, parents, and um, even. Um, siblings in the role of kind of a talented young 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 person coming through, and it was just quite startling to see, you know, the impact that a parent could have on the sideline, even in the car home. You know, you should have done this, you should have done that. Yeah. It can be detrimental to um to a talented young young sports person.
2: I know not necessarily part of the research you carried out, but Johan, just do you want to come in on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's just like the payback for those pushy
3: parents. You might not see it for the next two or three years from 10 to 15, Mm. and then all of a sudden, 16 years old, the kid's starting to think, I don't want that anymore. And they drop everything, and that's what's happened. So basically, it's kind of a a really long game you have to play, and you never know, because if you have three kids, the first two could work, the third one hates it. So it's really down to the individual. You have to have some sort of empathy with your kids thinking, I can push this one because it's what he needs, and he loves that. Your sibling, nah, Mm. this one, no, really. Not the same type of person. So we really have to be careful as a parents. Just follow your heart. You love your kids. Just do what is good for them. If they need to be pushed someday because they don't have the motivation today, maybe today is fine. But next week, if they don't want to go, do something else. Find another activity.
2: I thought it was interesting, the, uh, the point as well, Sarah-Jane, that David made there about, you know, the kind of language that you, you might often hear the parents use, um, as you said, in the car on the way home or what happened to you today, or you know what I mean, or were you not concentrate? Like this kind of yeah, questioning. Or the, the
0: First question: Did you score? You know, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. which, which is always a, the last thing you actually should be asking your child. Yeah, it's I, I think what what the guys have said I, I I'd agree fully, and it, it, we could nearly capture it by saying we need supportive parents, not pushy parents. So the parents need to be there. You need to be part of the picture because up until the age of twelve or thirteen, you're a key stakeholder for the kids. You know, they do listen to you. That's that's the point where that they actually. Yeah. You, You are what they want to be. You are the person they listen to most. You are setting the scene for them and you need to be there and they need to see that you care, that you want them to do well, but you want them to enjoy themselves. And what you should always pushing your kid to do is try their best. And that's it. You know, try your best. And if your kid can say, well, I tried my best. And well, you say, that's brilliant. Didn't yeah. you do brilliant? You know, you were absolutely amazing. And they, they do at times need to be motivated. You know, my own daughter would be the same. There's certainly some Saturday mornings where I'm going down coaching and she's like, do we have to, mammy? Or <laughs> that phantom pain in the tummy kind of appears again. But, you know, and it's just saying, well, come on down with me. And sure, you know, if we have to stand on the sideline for a little while, we will. But they're our team. They need us there, you know. So that's OK if you don't want to take part today. And within five minutes they're taking part. They're yeah. running around, they're having fun. So it's that support. Sometimes we do know better and we know we need them to be active, but it's not pushing them. And, and that, that, that type of notion of, you know, standing on the sideline and, and directing, well, that's, even as coaches, it's not what we do with our under eights or under sixes. Okay. You know, it's the encouragement and it's support, it's motivation.
2: We're just going to take a very short break. Do stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: Between the Lines on Talk.
2: Okay, you're welcome back to the final part of this week's Between the Lines programme here on News Talk with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today, we are discussing kids in Ireland and their movement and skills, of course, in a physical activity. Our panel still with us today, former international athlete David Gillick, Dr Sarah-Jane Belton, who's the Associate Professor and uh, the Head of School of Health and Human Performance at DCU, and also from uh, DCU School of Health and Performance, Dr Johan Isertel as well. Just um, before we, we finish up today, folks, just a couple of other points I just wanted to touch on. One in particular, been, um who really is to take responsibility for the rollout of all of this and, you know, my, my own gut feeling would be it's a personal responsibility it's up to the parents to, to kind of focus their kids on where they're going but can I just maybe ask you all kind of briefly around the room, who needs to do more to try and address these figures so that this time next year we're not talking about the fact that um, one in four primary school kids can't run properly. David Gillick.
1: I think for me, it's it's looking at it from a cultural perspective. I think we all have a role in it um, as parents. I think trying to create time where um, you're playing one on one with your kids um, and just getting them to do the basic things. I think also if they can see you out and being active, I think you know that might kind of inspire them and kind of create a norm as to why we should be out and being active. Um, I think those would be kind of the areas that I'd be kind of looking at. I think schools are doing a fantastic job, but um, we can kind of support that uh, by doing our own kind of stuff outside of school hours.
2: So even if it's a thing that like, you know, if daddy goes for a cycle or mommy goes for a run, that the child from a young age is seeing that this is part of the day or part of the week that this sort of activity happens. This is
1: this is part of what we do. It's kind of the culture at home. Um, when they see mum and dad going out, and playing various sports, you know, putting on the kit, putting on the boots, the runners. Well, then I think it kind of creates that normal attitude that you know, sport is part of what we do. Um, and then hopefully they'll kind of learn as to why why it's socially mm-hmm. good, why it's mentally good, and why it's physically good.
2: Um, Doctor Johan Isertel, um, where do you see the? Where should there be um, a greater focus? Responsibility? I think it's
1: um, yeah, I think everybody should has really
3: a role to play. The schools do a great job. So I think we just need to listen to what the school are telling us. Like, what do they need? Do they miss some sort of knowledge and or facilities? We need to understand that and just support that at, like, i said government level, really. We can do these kind of things. Your teachers do their best, but if there's a limitation, we need to hear them and find out what it is. So, what we're trying to do with understanding their current level and proposing solutions for that. So at school, that's... That's my view. And then from the parents' perspective, I think clearly you're the role model. So the kids will mimic what you do. So if you do nothing, they'll do nothing. If you do a lot, they'll do a lot. And I think parents, I know we are all under pressure with work. We don't have time, but I think we have to find time. It's important. Like We just want your kids to be healthy. To be healthy Mm -hmm. is to have those time when they can, one, relax, do some arts and craft at home, but also be out. We have to find the time as parents. It's our responsibility to do that, I
2: think. Yeah, and that's what you said. I mean, we we're talking about this a little bit earlier on. It's, it's, it's something that everyone can do at home Absolutely. and with limited resources. Completely you know, as well. no.
3: I think almost like to be really harsh, there is no good excuse. Like everywhere. You yeah. can live in an apartment and be really, really active. I was born not in a house, but in an apartment, third floor. Trust me, in the house, we were sweating in the corridors. There's plenty of really yeah. nice way to do this. So there's no good excuse, really. We can find that, leave the kids with the choice, I said earlier on, yeah. and they'll find a really nice way to have fun.
0: Dr. Sarah-Jane Belton? Yeah, it's it's. I agree completely with what the guys are saying. What I'd add to that, though, is the, almost the societal level on this. I was at a really interesting workshop earlier this week um, run by the IPark consortium, which is led by Catherine Woods, a colleague and a friend of ours down in the University of Limerick. And what the theme of the workshop was, was this system-based approach to physical activity. And as I was listening to it again, it's it's that notion of this is what we know but put in a different way. But what the system-based approach says is schools can do their bit. We, you know, as researchers can do our, do our bit. David, as someone who's advocating for this type of work, can do his bit. But we all need to do our bits together. And I mean, even if you look at the department of, you know, maybe the transport or the environment, you know, cycleways, are there safe Mm. cycle routes to schools? Most schools, I would say no. You know, for, for an awful lot of schools, you would say no. Can kids walk to school? Some cases, no, they can't. They're crossing two or three dangerous roads. You know, are there ways we can actually structure our environment better to engineer more activity in rather than engineering activity out? And That takes a whole system approach. It takes a government department, you know, department level approach, but also an all of government approach where people are pulling together and saying, let's not put in um, an escalator In front of a stairs, let's hide the escalator, hide the lift, so a stairs is the thing that people see. Those type of big picture decisions. Let's prioritise cycle paths around Dublin rather than prioritising roads. That is where we're going to allow more people to be more active more often. And it's it's like that circle of the more active we are, the better we develop these physical capacities to be active. Mm. And we need those opportunities. Technology is both the, the, the best and the worst thing the human race have ever, you know, developed. It's our biggest and our worst accomplishment. Technology is engineering activity out of our lives while also solving so many solutions for us. And we have to combat that by being smarter. Uh,
2: just during the, the ad break as well, David, Just you, you mentioned an interesting point about, you know, and I suppose it kind of comes back to the idea of the pushy parents as well, mm-hmm. the um, these sort of superstars and the superstar stories and whether it be the Maguire sisters that are the golfers in Cavan or yeah. whether it's, you know, the Williams um, uh, sisters as well in Texas. But you do hear these kind of stories and then you get the parents who want to live the dream through, you know, young Andrea or whatever. And
1: Yeah, and it's true. And I think, you know, he, parents go off and read the autobiographies and see what they were doing at the age of two, three and four. And think, well, that's what they need. My kid needs to do to get to that level. And I think they're the outliers. They're the 1%. And I think we can we can jump on those examples and think that that's the right way. Whereas in actual fact... It's not so, um, and I think it's just something to be aware of that you know, for every uh, one one percent that made it, there's a whole raft of people that have uh, have got to a really great level for um, and competed at the highest level in a different way. Yeah, and I just think it's kind of creating an awareness because we all do it. You know, we all read the books of the superstars and they motivate us. But you know, we got to remember that it's a three, four year old that's kind of starting off on a on a activity journey and not to put that pressure on them.
2: And and just that idea of keeping kids not necessarily involved in sport, but just keeping kids interested in physical activity. Like, I suppose that's something that's kind of important as well, Johan.
3: I think so. We've been really lucky, like with the Dublin GA and the GA, like this approach they have just to really educate the kids the right way and not to say, OK, let's put football at the forefront of those kids when they are six, seven, and then hurling only. That's no need. And they, I think that's modern approach is what is a really good solution to the problem we're facing. Those kids, when they're doing this in the nursery, in the school, they'll develop those skills that we are saying it's a problem. The problem we've flagged 15 years ago, that would have been a stupid research question to ask because kids will have played enough and will have seen mastery level. We call it mastery, Mm -hmm. like perfect motions and performance level for all the kids. And now we're just seeing 25% can't run. This is crazy. That shouldn't even be a question. Uh, And that hopefully the next time we come back, just we say, okay, this is a way to address the problem. We know how to do it and we actually can show that it actually works
2: yeah and well, hopefully the next time we meet we will be discussing um, a reverse to the statistics but I'm afraid that is all we have time for today. If you've missed any of the programme you can listen back on our website at newstalk.com or download the app on Go Live. My thanks to our panel David Gillick Dr Sarah-Jane Belton from DCU and also from uh, DCU Dr Johan Isertel also. My thanks to the production team today Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6 and with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan have a good day.